Liberty, the greatest of all earthly blessing, give us that precious jewel and you may take everything else. You are listening to And If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host, Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. Yes, I am your host, Mike Levitt. Welcome to And of Love Remains. This last Sunday was Constitution Day. So in light of that wonderful event, what we are going to do, I'm going to read to you. I'm going to do you a solid, as my good friend, Joey Wolverton says um, on his podcast. Great podcast, by the way. Teacher of Liberty. Go check it out. Um, but uh, as he says, I'm going to do you a solid. I am going to read to you uh, the great speech that Patrick Henry gave at the Virginia Ratifying Convention in 1788. And uh, I don't even want to give much of a background, just I guess, you know, those with ears, let him hear. But I will say, how much predictive power does, uh, does Patrick Henry's speech have? I think that's a good question to ask ourselves today. So, and get right into it. Mr. Chairman, I am much obliged to the very worthy gentleman of, for this ecomium. Uh, there we go, ecomium. I wish I was possessed of talents or possessed of anything that might enable me to elucidate this great subject. I am not free from suspicion. I am apt to entertain doubts. I rose yesterday to ask a question which arose in my own mind. When I asked the question, I thought the meaning of the interrogation was obvious. The fate of this question, and America may depend on this, have they said, we the states? Have they made a proposal of a compact between states? If they had, this would be a confederation. It is otherwise most clearly a consolidated government. The question turns, sir, on that poor little thing, the expression, we the people, instead of the states of America. I need not take much pains to show that the, the principles of the system are extremely pernicious, impolitic, and dangerous. Is this a monarchy like England, a compact between prince and people with checks on the former to secure the liberty of the latter? Is this a confederacy like Holland, an association of a number of independent states? Each of them retain its individual sovereignty. It is... It is not a democracy wherein the people retain all their rights securely. Had, the, had these principles been adhered to, we would not have been brought to this alarming transition from a confederacy to a consolidated government. We have no detail of those great considerations which, in my opinion, ought to have abounded before we should recur to a government of this kind. Here is a revolution as radical as that which separated us from Great Britain. It, it is radical if in this transition our rights and privileges are endangered and the sovereignty of the states be relinquished. And cannot we plainly see that this is actually the case? The rights of conscience, trial by jury, liberty of the press, all of your immunities and franchises, all pretensions to human rights and privileges are rendered insecure, if not lost, by this change, so loudly talked of by some and inconsiderately by others. Is this same uh, relinquishment of rights worthy of free men? Is it worthy of that manly fortitude that ought to characterize Republicans? It is said eight states have adopted this plan. I declare that if 12 states and a half had, had adopted it, I would, with my manly firmness and in spite of an erring world, reject it. You are not to inquire how your trade may be increased, nor how you are to become a great and powerful people, but only how your liberties can be secured, for liberty ought to be the direct end 
of your government. Having premised these things, I shall, with the aid of my judgment and information, which I confess are not extensive, go into the discussion of the system more minutely. Is it necessary for your liberty that you should abandon these great rights of the adoption of this system? Is the relinquishment of the trial by jury and the liberty of the press necessary for your liberty? Will the abandonment of the, your most sacred rights tend to the security of your liberty? Liberty, the greatest of all earthly blessings, give us, give us that precious jewel, and you may take us take everything else. Let me repeat that. Liberty, the greatest of all earthly blessing, give us that precious jewel, and you may take everything else. But I am fearful I have lived long enough to become an old-fashioned fellow. Perhaps an invincible attachment to the dearest rights of man may, in, in this refined, enlightened days, be deemed old-fashioned. If so, I am contented to be so. I say the time has been when every pulse of my heart beat for American liberty, and, and which, I believe, had a counterpart in the breast of every true American. But suspicions have gone forth, suspicions of my integrity, pub uh, pub publicly reported that my professions are not real. Twenty-three years ago, I was supposed a traitor to my country. I was then said to be the bane of sedition, because I supported the rights of my country. I may be thought suspicious when I say our privileges and rights are in danger, but sir, a number of the people of this country are weak enough to think these things are too true. I am happy to find that the gentleman on the other side declares they are groundless, but sir, suspicion is a virtue as long as its object is the per, uh, preservation of, our, of the public good and as long as it stays within proper bounds. Should it fall on me, I am contented. Conscious rectitude is a powerful consolation. I trust there are many who think my professions for the public good to be real. Let your suspicion look to both sides. There are many on the other side who possibly may have been persuaded to the necessity of these measures, which I conceive to be dangerous to your liberty. Guard with jealous attention the public liberty. Suspect everyone who approaches that jewel. Unfortunately, nothing will preserve it but downright force. Whenever you give up that force, you are inevitably ruined. I am answered by gentlemen that though I might speak of terrors, yet the fact was that we are surrounded by none of these dangers. I conceive this new government to be one of, the, one of those dangers. <laughs> it has produced the, those horrors which uh, distress many of our best citizens. We are come hither to preserve the poor commonwealth of Virginia, if it can be possibly done. Something must be done to preserve your liberty and mine. The Confederation, this same despised government, merits, in my opinion, the highest encomium. It carried us through a long and dangerous war. It rendered us victorious in that bloody conflict with a powerful nation. It has secured us a territory greater than any European monarch possesses. And shall a government which has been thus strong and vigorous be accused of imbecility and abandoned for, for want of energy? Consider what you are about to do before you part with the government. Take longer time to rec in reckoning things. Revolutions like this have happened in almost every country in Europe. Similar examples are to be found in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Instances of the people losing their liberty by their own carelessness and the ambition of a few. We are cautioned by the Honorable Gentleman who presides against faction and turbulence. I acknowledge the lasciviousness is dangerous and that it ought to be provided against. I acknowledge also that the new form of government may effectually prevent it. Yet there is no other thing it will effectually do. There is, there is another thing it will effectually do. It will oppress and ruin the people. There are sufficient guards placed against sedition and lasciviousness, for when power is given to this government to suppress these, or for any other purpose, the language it assumes is clear, express, and unequivocal. But when this constitution speaks of privileges, there is an ambiguity, sir, a, a fatal ambiguity, an ambiguity which is very astonishing. 
and the clause under consideration, there is the strangest language that I can conceive. I mean when it says that there shall not be more representatives than one for every 30,000. Now, sir, how easy is it to evade this privilege? The number shall not exceed one for every 30,000. This may be satisfied by one representative from each state. Let our numbers be ever so great. This immense continent may be by artful expression be reduced to have but 13 representatives. I confess this construction is not natural, but the ambiguity of the expression lays a good ground for a quarrel. Why was it not clearly and unequivocally expressed that they should be entitled to have one for every 30,000? This would be obviated, this would have obviated all disputes. And this, and was this difficult to be done? What is the inference? When population increases and a state shall send representatives in this proportion, Congress may remand them, because the right of having one for every 30,000 is not clearly expressed. This possibility of reducing the number to one for each state approximates to a probability by which, by that other expression. But each state shall at least have one representative. Now, is it not clear that from the first expression, the number might be reduced so much that some states should have no representatives at all were it not for the insertion of this last expression? And as this is the only restriction upon them, we may fairly conclude that they may restrain the number to one from each state. Perhaps the same horrors may hang over my, uh, my mind again. I shall be told I am continually afraid, but sir, I have strong cause of apprehension. In some parts of the plan before you, the great rights of freemen are endangered. In other parts, absolutely taken away. How does your trial by jury stand? In civil cases, gone. Not sufficiently secured in criminal, this best privilege is gone. But we are told that we need not fear because those in power, being our representatives, will not abuse the powers we put in their hands. I am not well versed in history, but I will submit to your recollection whether liberty has been destroyed most often by the lasciviousness of the people or by the tyranny of rulers. I imagine, sir, you will find the balance on the side of the tyranny. Happy will you be if you miss the fate of those, of those nations who, omitting uh, to resist their oppressors, are negligently suffering their liberty to be wrested from them, have groaned under intolerable despotism. Most of the human race are now in this deplorable condition, and those nations who have gone in search of grandeur, power, and splendor have also fallen a sacrifice and been victims to their own folly. My great objection to this government is that it does not leave us the means of defending our rights or of waging war against tyrants, even our own. It is urged by some gentlemen that this new plan will bring us the, an acquisition of strength, an army, and the militia of the states. This is an idea extremely ridiculous. Gentlemen, cannot be earnest. This acquisition will trample on our fallen liberty. Let my beloved Americans guard against that fatal lethargy that has pervaded the universe. Have we the means of resisting disciplined armies when our only defense, the militia, is put into the hands of Congress? The honorable gentleman said that the great danger will ensue if the convention rose without adopting the system. I ask, where is the danger? I see none. Other gentlemen have told us within these walls that the union is gone or that the uh, or that the union is gone. Is not this trifling with the judgment of their fellow citizens T till they tell us the grounds of their fears? I will consider consider them as imaginary. I rose to make inquiry where those dangers were. They could not answer. I believe I will never have that answer. Is there a disposition in the people of this country to revolt against the dominion of laws? Has there been a single tumult in Virginia? Have not the people of Virginia, when laboring under the severest pressure of accumulated distresses, manifested the most cordial acquiescence in the execution of the laws? What could be more awful than their unanimous acquiescence under general distresses? Is there any res revolution in Virginia? 
Whither is the spirit of America gone? Whither is the genius of America fled? Has not but yesterday when our enemies marched in triumph through our country. Yet the people of this country could not be appalled by their pompous armaments. They stopped their career and victoriously captured them. Where is the peril now compared to that? Some minds are agitated by foreign alarms. Happily for us, there is no real danger from Europe. That, that country is, in, is engaged in more arduous business. From that corner, there is no cause of fear. You may sleep in safety forever for them. Where is the danger? If, sir, there was any, I would recur to the American spirit to defend us. That spirit which has enabled us to surmount the greatest difficulties. To the illustrations, to that illustrious spirit, I address my most fervent prayer to prevent our adopting a system destructive to liberty. Let not gentlemen be told that it is not safe to reject this government. Wherefore, is it not safe? We are told there are dangers, but those dangers are ideal. They cannot be de demonstrated. To encourage us to adopt it, they tell us that there is a plain, easy way of getting amendments. When I come to contemplate this part, I suppose that I am mad or that my countrymen are so. The way to amend is, in my conception, shut. Let us consider this plain, easy way. Plain, easy way. The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution, or, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislatures or three-fourths of the several states or by the conventions and three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress, provided that no amendment may be made prior to the year 1808, shall in any manner affect the first and fourth clauses in the ninth section of the first article that no state without its consent shall be deprived of its equal suffrage in the Senate. End quote. Hence, it appears that three-fourths of the states must ultimately agree to any amendments that may be necessary. Let us consider the consequence of this. However uncharitable it may appear, yet I must tell my opinion that the most unworthy characters may get into power and prevent the introduction of amendments. Let us suppose, for the case is supposable, possible, and probable, that, that you happen to deal those powers to unworthy hands. Will they relinquish powers? already in their possession or agree to amendments? Two-thirds of the Congress or of the state legislatures are necessary even to propose amendments? If one-third of these be unworthy men, they may prevent the application for amendments. But what is destructive and mischievous is that three-fourths of the state legislatures or of the state conventions must concur to the amendments when proposed. In such numerous bodies, there must necessarily be some designing bad men. To suppose that so large a number as three-fourths of the states will concur is to, is to suppose that they will possess genius, intelligence, and integrity approaching to miraculous. It would indeed be miraculous that they should concur in the same amendments, and even in such as would bear some likeness to one another, for four of the smallest states that do not collectively contain one-tenth part of the population of the United States may obstruct the most salutary and necessary amendments. Nay, in these four states, six-tenths of the people may reject these amendments, and suppose that amendments shall be opposed and shall be opposed that amendments shall be opposed to amendments, which is highly probable, is it possible that three-fourths can ever agree to the same amendments? A bare majority in these small, four small states may hinder the adoption of amendments so that we may fairly and justly conclude that one twentieth part of the American people may prevent the removal of the most grievous inconveniences and oppression. By refusing to accede to amendments, a trifling minority may reject to the most salutary amendments. Is this an ease? Is this an easy mode of securing the public liberty? It is, sir, a most fearful situation when the most 
contemptible minority can prevent the alteration of the most oppressive government for it for it may in many respects prove to be such is this the spirit of republicanism what sir is the genius of democracy let me read the clause of the bill of rights of virginia which relates to this 3d clause that government is or ought to be instituted for the common benefit protection and security of the people nation or community of all the various modes and forms of government that is best which is capable of producing the greatest degree of happiness and safety and is most effectually secured against the danger of maladministration and that whenever any government shall be found inadequate or contrary to those purposes a majority of the community hath an indubitable unalienable and indefeasible right to reform alter or abolish it in such manner as shall be judged most conducive at, uh, to the public weal this sir is the language of democracy that a majority of, of the community have a right to alter the government when found to be oppressive but how different is the genius of your new constitution from this how different from the sentiments of freemen that a contemptible minority can prevent the good of the majority if then gentlemen standing on this ground are come are come to that point that they are willing to bind themselves and their posterity to be oppressed i am amazed and inexpressibly astonished if this be the opinion of the majority i must submit but to me sir it appears perilous and destructive i cannot help thinking so perhaps it may be the result of my age these may be feelings natural to a man of my years when the american spirit has left him and his mental powers like the members of the body are decayed if sir amendments are left to the 20th or 10th part of the people of america your liberty is gone forever we have heard that there is a great deal of bribery practiced in the house of commons in england and that many of the members raise themselves to preferments uh, by selling the rights of, of the whole of the people but sir the tenth part of that body cannot continue oppression on the rest of the people english liberty is in this case on a firmer foundation than american liberty it will be easily contrived to procure the opposition of one tenth of the people to any alteration however judicious the honorable gentleman who presides told us that to prevent abuses in our government we will assemble in convention recall our delegated powers and punish our servants for abusing the trust reposed in them oh sir we should have fine times indeed if to punish pirates if if we're only to sufficient to assemble the people your arms wherewith you could defend yourselves are gone and you have no longer an aristocratical nor longer a de democratical spirit did you ever read of any revolution in a nation brought about by the punishment of those in power inflicted by those who had no power at all you read of a riot act in a, in a country which is called one of the freest in the world where a few neighbors cannot assemble without the risk of being shot by a hired soldiery the engines of despotism we must uh, sukan we may see sukan act in america a standing army we shall have also to execute the externable commands of tyranny yes and how are you to punish them will you order them to be punished who will obey these orders will you mace bearer be a, a match for the disciplined regiment in what situation are we to be the the clause before you gives a power of direct taxation unbounded and unlimited exclusive power of legislation in all cases whatsoever for 10 miles square and over all places purchased for the erection of forts magazines uh, arsenals dockyards etc what resistance could be made the attempt would be madness you will find all the strength of this country in the hands of our of your enemies their garrisons will naturally be the strongest places in the country your militia is given up to congress also in another part of this plan they will therefore act as they think proper all power will be in their own possession you cannot force them to receive their punishment of what service would militia be to you when most probably you will not have a single musket in the state for as arms are to be provided by congress they may or may not furnish them let me here call your attention to that part which gives the congress power to quote prov providing 
to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states, respectively, the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline uh, prescribed by Congress, end quote. By this, sir, you see that their control over our last and best defense is unlimited. If they neglect or refuse to discipline or arm our, our militia, then will be uh, they will be useless. The states can do neither. This power being exclusively given to Congress, the power of appointing officers over men not disciplined or armed is ridiculous, so that this pretended little remains of power left to the states may, at the pleasure of Congress, be rendered a negatory. 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 <laughs> Our situation will be deplored indeed, nor can we ever expect to get this government amended. Since I have already shown that a very small minority may prevent it, and that small and that small minority interested in the continuance of the of the oppression, will the oppressor let go the uh, let go the oppressed? Was there ever an instance? Can the annals of mankind exhibit one single example where rulers overcharged with power willingly let go the oppressed through solicited and requested most? Though, excuse me, though solicited and requested most earnestly, the application for amendments will therefore be fruitless. Sometimes the oppressed have got loose by one of those bloody struggles that, that, desolate, that desolate a country. But a willing relinquishment of power is one of those things which human nature never was nor ever will be capable of. The honorable, the honorable gentleman's observations respecting the people's right of being the agent of the, in the formation of this government are not accurate in my humble conception. This distinction between a national government and confederacy is not sufficiently discerned. Had the delegates who were sent to Philadelphia a power to propose a consolidated government instead of a confederacy? Were they not de uh, deputed by state and not by the people? The assent of the people and their collective capacity is not necessary to the formation of a federal government. The people have no right to enter into leagues, alliances, or confederations. They are not the proper agents for this purpose. States and foreign powers are the only proper agents for this kind of government. Show me an instance where the people have exercised this business. Has it not always gone through legislatures? I refer you to the treaties with France, Holland, and other nations. How were they made? Were they not made by the states? Are the people, therefore, in their aggregate capacity, the proper persons to form a confederacy? This, therefore, ought to depend on the consent of the legislatures, the people having never sent delegates to make any proposition for change of government. Yet I must say at the same time that it may, was made on grounds the most pure, and perhaps I might have been brought to consent to it so far as to the change of government but there's one thing in it which i would never would acquiesce in i mean the changing it into a consolidated government which is so abhorrent in my mind an opinion has gone uh has gone forth we find that we are contemptible people the time has been when we were thought otherwise under the same despised government we commanded the respect of all europe Wherefore are we now reckoned otherwise? The American spirit has fled from hence. It has gone to regions where it has never been expected. It has gone to the people of France. In search of a splendid government, a strong, energetic government, shall we imitate the example of those nations who have gone from a simple to a splendid government? Are those nations more worthy of our imitation? What can make an adequate satisfaction to them for the loss they have suffered in attaining such a government. For the loss of their liberty, if we admit this consolidated government, it will be because we like a great and splendid one. Some way or other, we must be a great and mighty empire. We must have an army and a navy and a number of things. When the American spirit was in its youth, the language of America was different. Liberty, sir was the primary object. We were descended from a people whose government was founded on liberty. Our glorious forefathers of Great Britain made liberty the foundation of everything. 
That country is become a great, mighty, splendid nation, not because of their government is strong and energetic, but sir, because liberty is its direct end and formation, foundation. We drew the spirit of liberty from our British ancestors. By that spirit, we have triumphed over every difficulty. But now, sir, the American spirit, assisted by the ropes and chains of consolidation, is about to convert this country into a powerful and mighty empire. If you make the citizens of this country agree to become the subjects of one great consolidated empire of America, your government will not have sufficient energy to keep them together. Such a government is incompatible with the genius of republicanism. There will be no checks, no real balances in this government. You can avail your, your specious imaginary balances, your rope dancing, chain rattling, ridiculous ideal checks and contrivances. But sir, we are not feared by foreigners. We do not make nations tremble. Would this constitute happiness or secure liberty? I trust, sir, our political hemisphere will ever direct their operations to the security of those objects. Consider our situation, sir. Go to the poor man and ask him what he does. He will inform you that he enjoys the fruits of his labor under his own fig tree with his wife and children around him in peace and security. Go to every other member of society. You will find the same tranquil ease and content. You will find no alarms or disturbances. Why then tell us of danger to terrify us into an adoption of this new form of government? And yet, who knows the dangers of this new system may produce? They are out of the sight of the common people. They cannot foresee latent consequences. I dread the operation of it on the middling and lower class of people. It is for them I fear the adoption of the system. I fear I tire the patience of this committee, but I beg to be indulged with a few more observations. When I thus profess myself an advocate for the liberty of the people, I shall be told I am a designing man, but I am to be a great man, that I am to be a demagogue, that, that many similar, similar uh, liberal insinuations will be thrown out. But sir, conscious rectitude outweighs those things with me. I see great jeopardy in this new government. I see none from our present one. I hope some gentleman or other will bring forth in full array those dangers, if there be any, that we may see and touch them. I have said that I thought this a consolidated government. I will now prove it. Will the great rights of the people be secured by this government? Suppose it should, be prove, it should prove oppressive. How can it be altered? Our Bill of Rights, our Bill of Rights, declare that a majority of the community hath an indubitable, inalienable, and indefeasible, indefeasible right to reform, alter, or abolish it, in such manner as shall be judged most conducive to the public weal. I have just proved that one tenth or less of the people of America, a most despicable minority, may prevent this reform or altercation. Suppose the people of Virginia should wish to alter their government. Can a majority of them do it? No, because they are connected with other men, or in other words, consolidated with other states. When the people of Virginia at a future day shall wish to alter their government, though they should be unanimous in their, this desire, yet they may be prevented there, therefrom by a despicable minority at the extremity of the United States. The founders of your own constitution made your government changeable, but the power of changing it is gone from you. Whither is it gone? It is placed in the same hands that hold the rights of 12 other states. And those who hold those rights have right and power to keep them. It is not the particular government of Virginia. One of the leading features of that government is that a majority can alter it when, nece when necessary for the public good. This government is not a Virginian, but an American government. Is it not, therefore, a consolidated government? The sixth clause of your Bill of Rights tell you that elections of members to serve as representatives of the people in assembly ought to be free, and that all men have sufficient evidence of per, uh, permanent common interest with and attachment to the community, have the right of suffrage, and cannot be taxed or deprived of their property for public uses without their own consent or that of their representatives so elective, elected, nor bound by any law to which they 
have not in like manner assented for the public good. But what does this Constitution say? The clause under consideration gives an unlimited and unbounded power of taxation. Suppose every delegate from Virginia opposes a law laying a tax. What will that avail? They are opposed by a majority. Eleven members can destroy their efforts. Those feeble ten cannot prevent the passing the, the most oppressive tax law. So that in direct opposition to the spirit and express language of your declaration of rights, you are taxed not by your own consent, but by the people who have no connection with you. The next clause of the Bill of Rights tells you that all power of suspended, suspending law or the execution of law by an authority without the consent of the representatives of the people is injurious to their rights and not not to be exercised. This tells us that there can be no suspension of government or laws without their own consent. Yet this Constitution can counteract and suspend any of our laws that uh, contravene its oppressive operation. For they have the power of direct taxation, which suspends our Bill of Rights, and it is expressly provided that they can make all laws necessary for carrying their powers into the execution. Into execution, And it is declared paramount to the laws and constitutions of the states. Consider how the only remaining defense we have left is destroyed in this manner. Besides the expenses of maintaining the Senate and the other house in as much splendor as they please, there is to be a great and mighty president with very extensive powers, the powers of a king. He is to be supported in extravagant mag magnificence so that the whole of our property may be taken by this American government by the laying what taxes they please, giving themselves what salaries they please, and suspending our laws at their pleasure. I might be thought too inquisitive, but I believe I should take up very little of your time in enumerating the little power that is left in the government of Virginia. For this power is reduced to little or nothing, their garrisons, magazines, arsenals, and forts, which will be situated in all the strongest places within the states, their ten miles square with all the fine ornaments of human life added to their powers and taken from the states, will reduce the power of the latter to nothing. The voice of tradition, I trust, will inform posterity of our struggles for freedom. If our descendants be worthy the name of Americans, they will preserve and hand down their last to their latest posterity the transactions of the present times, and, though I confess my exclamations are not worthy of hearing, they are, my friend, they will see that I have done my utmost to preserve their liberty, for I never will give up the power of direct taxation but for a scourge. I am willing to give it conditionally, that is, after non-compliance with requisitions, I will do more, sir, and what I hope will convince the most skeptical man that I am a lover of the American Union that, in case Virginia shall not make punctual payment, the control of our custom houses and the whole regulation of trade shall be given to Congress, and that Virginia shall depend on Congress even for passports, till Virginia shall have paid the last farthing and furnished the last soldier. Nay, sir, there is another alternative to which I would consent which that they should strike us out of the union yeah and take away us all federal privileges till we comply with federal requ requisitions but let it depend upon our own pleasures to pay our money in the most easy manner for our people were all the states more terrible than our than the mother country to join against us i hope virginia could defend herself but sir the dissolution of the union is most important to my mind the first thing I have at heart is American liberty. The second thing is American union, and I hope the people of Virginia will endeavor to preserve that union. The increasing population of the southern states is far greater than that of New England. Consequently, in a short time, they will be far more numerous than the people of that country. Consider this, that you will find this state more particularly interested in the support of, in, to support American liberty and not bind our posterity to an improvident relinquishment of our rights. I would give the best security for a punctual compliance with requisitions, but I beseech gentlemen at all hazards not to give up this unlimited power of taxation. The honorable gentleman has told us that these powers given to Congress are accompanied by a judiciary which will correct all, 
On examination, you will find this very judiciary oppressively constructed, your jury trial destroyed, and the judges dependent on Congress. In this scheme, the energetic government, the people who find two sets of tax gallerers, the state and the federal sheriffs, this, it seems to me, will produce such a dreadful oppression as the people cannot possibly bear. The federal sheriff may commit what oppression, uh, make what distresses, just distresses he pleases, and ruin you with impunity. For how are you to tie his hands? Have you any sufficiently decided uh, means of preventing him from sucking your blood by speculations, commissions, and fees? Thus thousands of your people will be most shamefully robbed. Our state sheriffs, those unfeeling bloodsuckers, have, under the watchful eye of our legislature, committed the most horrid and, bar and barbarous ravages on our people. It has required the most constant vigilance of the legislature to keep them from totally ruining the people. A repeated secession of laws has been made to suppress their in uh, iniquitous speculations and cruel ex extortions, and as often as their nefarious in ingenuity devised methods of evading the force of those laws in the struggle they have generally triumphed over the legislature. It is a fact that lands have been sold for five shillings, which were worth hundred pounds. If sheriffs thus immediately under the eye of our state legislature and judiciary have dared to commit these outrages, what would they not have done if their masters had been at Philadelphia or New York, if they perpe uh, perpetuated the most unwarrantable outrage on your person or property. You cannot get redressed from this side of Philadelphia or New York, and how can you get it there? It, <clears throat> if your domestic avocations could permit you to go thither, there, there you must appeal to judges sworn to support this Constitution in opposition to that of any state, and who may also be inclined to favor their own officers. When these harpies are aided by excisemen who may search at any time your house and most secret recesses, will the people bear it? If you think so, you differ from me. Where I thought there was a possibility of such mischiefs, I would grant power with a stingy hand and here and there as a, pro as a strong probability that, that uh, these oppressions shall actually happen. I may be told that it is safe to err on that side because such regulations may be made by Congress as such restrain these officers and because laws are made by their representatives and judged by righteous judges. But sir, as these regulations may be, as they may not, and may, and may reasons there are to induce a belief that they will not, I shall therefore be an infidel on the point to the day of my death." This constitution is said to have beautiful features, but when I come to examine these features, sir, they appear to me horribly frightful. Among their deformities, it is an awful squinting. It squints towards monarchy, and does not this raise indignation in the breast of every true American? Your president can easily become king. Your senate is so imperfectly constructed that your dearest rights may be sacrificed by what may be a small minority. And a very small minority may continue forever, unchangeably, this government, although horridly defective. Where are your checks in this government? Your strongholds will be in the hands of your enemies. It is on a su su supposition that your... American governor shall be honest, that all the good qualities of this government are founded, but its defective and imperfect construction puts it in their power to perpetuate the worst mis mischiefs, should they be bad men, and sir, would not all the world, from the eastern to the western hemisphere, blame our distractful, distracted folly in resting our rights upon the contingency of our rulers being good or bad? Show me that age and country where the rights and liberties of the people were placed on the sole chance of their rulers being good men, without a consent, a consequent loss of liberty. I say that the loss of every dearest privilege has ever followed with absolute certainty every such mad attempt. If your American chief be a man of ambition and abilities, how easy uh, is it for him to render himself absolute? 
The army is in his hands, and if he be a man of address, it will be attached to him, and it will be the subject of, of long meditation with him to seize the first auspicious moment to accomplish his design. And, sir, will the American spirit solely relieve you when this happens? I would rather infinitely, and I am sure most of this convention uh, are of the same opinion, have a king, lords, and commons than a government so replete with such insupportable evils. If we make a king, we may prescribe the rules by which he shall rule his people, and interpose such checks as shall prevent him from infringing them. But the president in the field at the head of his army can prescribe the terms on which he shall reign master, so far that it will puzzle any American ever to get his neck from under the galling yoke. I cannot, with patience, think of this idea. If ever he violates the laws, one or two things will happen. He will come to the head of the army to carry everything before him, or he will give bail to do what Mr. Chief Justice will order, will order him. If he be guilty, will not the recollection of his crimes teach him to make the one, make one bold push for the American throne? Will not the immense difference between being master of everything and being ignominiously tried and punished powerfully excite him to make this bold push? But sir, huh, Lyndon Johnson, anyway, but sir, where is the existing force to punish him? Can he not, at the head of the army, beat down every opposition away with, with your president? Away with your president. We shall have a king. The army will salute him, monarch. Your militia will leave you and assist in making him king and fight against you. And what have you to oppose this force? What will then become of you and your rights? Will not absolute despotism ensue? What can be more defective than the clause concerning the elections? The control given to Congress over the time, place, and manner holding of elections will totally destroy the end of suffrage. The elections may be held at one place and the most inconvenient in the, in the state, or they may be rem, uh, at remote distances from those who have a right of suffrage. Hence, 9 out of 10 must either not vote at all or vote for strangers. For the most influential characters will be applied to, to, to know who are the most proper to be chosen. I repeat that the control of Congress over the manner of electing well warrants this idea. The natural consequence will be that this democratic branch will possess none of the public confidence. The people will be prejudiced against representatives chosen in such an injudicious matter. The proceedings in the northern conclave will be hidden from the yeomanry of this country. We are told that the yeas and nays shall be taken and entered on the journals. This, sir, will avail nothing. It may be locked up in their chests and concealed forever from the people, for they are not to publish what parts they think require secrecy. They may think and will think, and will think, excuse me, the whole requires it. Another beautiful feature, beautiful feature of this Constitution is the publication from time to time of the receipts and, and uh, expenditures of the public money. Excuse me, I think that's meant to be, it is beautiful for Virginia, the country. This expression from time to time is very indefinite and indeterminate. It may extend to a century. Grant that any of them are wicked, they may squander the public money so as to ruin you and yet this expression will give you no redress i say that you that they may ruin you for where sir is responsibility the yeas and nays will show you nothing unless they be fools as well as knaves for having wickedly trampled on the rights of the people they would act like fools indeed were they to, to uh were they to public and divulge their iniquity when they have it equally in their power to suppress and conceal it where is the responsibility, that leading principle in the British government? In that government, a punishment certain and inevitable is provided. But in this, there is no real actual punishment for the grossest maladministration. They may go without punishment, though they commit the most outrageous violation in our, uh, on our immunities. That paper may tell me they will be punished. I ask, by what law? They must make the law for there is no existing law to do it. What? Will they make a law to punish themselves? 
This, sir, is my great objection to the Constitution, that there is no true responsibility, and that the preservation of our liberty depends on the single chance of men being virtuous enough to make laws to punish themselves. In the country from which we are descended, they have real and not imaginary responsibility, for their maladministration has cost their heads to some uh, of the most saucy geniuses that ever were. The Senate, by making treaties, may destroy your liberties and laws for want of responsibility. Two-thirds of those that shall happen to be present can, with the President, make treaties that shall be the supreme law of the land. They may make the most ruinous treaties, and yet there is no punishment for them. Whoever shows me a punishment provided for them will oblige me. So, sir, notwithstanding, there are eight pillars. They want another. Where will, the, where will they make another? I trust, sir, the exclusion of the evils wherein, wherewith the system is replay, replete in its own present form will be made a condition precedent to its adoption by this or any other state. The transition from a general unqualified admission to offices to a consolidation of government seems easy, for though the American states are dissimilar in their structure, this will assimilate them. This, sir, is itself a strong consolidating feature and is not one of the least dangerous in that system. Nine states are sufficient to establish this government over those, over those, nines, over those nine. Imagine that nine have come into it. Virginia has certain scruples. Suppose she will, consequently, refuse to join with those states. May not she still continue in friendship and union with them? If she sends her annual requisitions in dollars, do, the, do you think their stomachs will be so squeamish as to refuse her dollars? Will they not accept her regiments? They would... They would intimidate you into an inconsiderate adoption and frighten you with ideal evils and that the union shall be dissolved. Tis a bugbear, sir. The fact is, sir, that the eight adopting states can hardly stand on their own legs. Public fame most tells us that the adopting states have already heartburnings and animosity and repent to their precipitate hurry. This, sir, make occasion exceeding great mischief. When I reflect on these and many other circumstances, I must think those states will be found to be in confederacy with us. If we pay our quota of money annually and furnish our ratable uh, number of men when necessary, I see no danger from a rejection. The history of Switzerland clearly proves that we, we might be an amicable alliance with these with those states without adopting the Constitution. Switzerland is a confederacy consisting of dissimilar governments. This is an example which proves that governments of dissimilar structures may be confederated. That confederate republic has stood upwards of 400 years, and although several of the individual republics are democratic and the rest aristocratic, no evil has resulted from this dissimilarity, for they have braved all the power of, of France and Germany during that long war. The Swiss spirit, sir, has kept them together. They have encountered and overcome immense difficulties with patience and fortitude. In the vicinity of powerful and ambitious monarchs, they have retained their independence, republican simplicity, and valor. Look at the peasants of that country and of France and mark the difference. You will find the condition of the former far more desirable and comfortable. No matter whether the people be great, splendid, and powerful, if they enjoy freedom, the Turkish Grand Seigneur alongside of our present would put us to disgrace, but we should be as abundantly consoled for this disgrace when our citizens have been put in contrast with the Turkish slave. The most valuable end of government is the liberty of the inhabitants. No possible advantages can compensate for the loss of this privilege. Show me the reason why the American Union is to be dissolved. Who are those eight adopting states? Are they averse to giving us a little time to consider before we conclude? Would such a disposition render a junction with them eligible, or is it the genius of that kind of government that to precipitate people hastily into measures of the utmost importance and grant no indulgence? 
If it be, sir, is it for us to accede to such a government? We have a right to, to have time to consider. We shall therefore insist upon it. Unless the government be amended, we can never accept it. The adopting states will doubtless accept our money and our regiments, and what is it to be the consequence if we are uh, disunited? I believe it is yet doubtful uh, whether it is not proper to stand a, a while and see the effect of its ado adoption in other states. In forming a government, the utmost care should be taken to prevent its becoming oppressive, and this government is of such an intricate and complicated nature that no man on this earth can know its real operation. The other states have no reason to think from the uh, antecedent <clears throat> conduct of Virginia that she has any intention of seceding from the Union, or of being less active to support the general welfare. Would they not therefore acquiesce in our taking time to deliberate, deliberate whether the measure be not perilous, not only for us, but the adopting states? Permit me, sir, to say that a great majority of the people, even in the adopting states, are averse to this government. I believe I would be right to say that they have been egregiously misled. Pennsylvania has perhaps been tricked into it. If the other states who have adopted it have not been tricked, still they were too much hurried into its adoption. There were very respectable minorities in several of them, and if reports be true, a clear majority of the people are averse to it. If we also accede, and it should prove grievous, the peace and prosperity of our country, which we all love, will be destroyed. This government has not the effect of the people at present. Should it be oppressive, their affections will be totally estranged from it. And sir, you know that a government without their affections can neither be durable nor happy. I speak as one poor individual, but when I speak, I speak the language of thousands. But, sir, I mean not to uh, breathe the spirit nor the, utter the language of secession. I have trespassed so long on your patience. I am really concerned that I have something yet to say. The honorable member has said we shall be properly representative. Remember, sir, that the number of our representatives is but 10 whereof six is a majority will these men be possessed of sufficient information a particular knowledge of the particular districts will not suffice they must be well acquainted with agriculture commerce and a great variety of other matters throughout the continent they must know not only the actual state of nations in europe and america the situations of their farmers cottagers and mechanics and also the relative situations and intercourse of those nations Virginia is as large as England. Our proportion of representatives is but 10 men. In England, they have 558. The House of Commons in England, numerous as they are, we are told are bribed and have bartered away the rights of their con con constituents. What then shall become of us? Will these few protect our rights? Will they be incorruptible? You say they will be better than men than the English commoners. I say they will be infinitely worse men, because they are to be chosen blindfolded. Their election, the term as applied to their appointment is inaccurate, will be an involuntary nomination and not a choice. I have, I fear, fatigued the committee. Yet I have not said the 100,000th part of what I have on my mind and wish to impart. On this occasion, I conceived myself bound to attend strictly to the interests of the state, and I thought her dearest rights at stake, having lived so long, been so much honored, my efforts, though small, are due to my country. I have found my mind hurried on from subject to subject on this very great occasion. I have been all out of order from the gentleman who opened today to myself. I did not come prepared to speak on so multifarious a subject in so general a manner. I trust you will indulge me another time before you abandon the present system. I hope you will consider not only its defects most maturely, but likewise those of that which you are to substitute for it. May you be fully apprised of the dangers of the latter, not by fatal experience, but by some abler advocate than I. Patrick Henry. Mike is gone.
You are listening to And If Love Remains. Gone but not forgotten. First of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt. Trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization. 